The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy, they also serve the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and even the Space Force. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. My name is Andrew. I'm the producer, host with Marcus and Morgan and Melanie and the whole team always doing this thing. If it's your first time here, welcome to the show. We have incredible guests every single week who talk about their abilities to overcome the greatest obstacles and how they deal with adversity. This week is no different. It's part two of the Marcus and Amber Capone episode. If you are just now tuning in, if you missed last week, you're going to want to go back to last week's episode. Check out last week's episode with the part one today. We're picking up where we left off. If you haven't already, make sure you follow us on YouTube. We've got almost 100,000 subscribers where we release new videos every single week. If you want to see what we're doing in the studio, you can watch them there. And thank you to our Patreons. Our Patreon members are who allow us to put on new shows every single week. We're so grateful for them. If you want to become a Patreon and get access to exclusive content, cool merch that you can't get anywhere else, and even a limited edition challenge coin, then you're going to want to join us at patreon.com slash team never quit. Again, today's part two of the Marcus Neighbor Capone episode. Just to give you kind of a brief background, they are the founders of VETS, a nonprofit organization that they're using to help with the growing veteran healthcare and suicide crisis in the nation. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's jump in. And I'm like, you motherfucker, you're wearing that name tag. And I'm like, you, and I'm like, the shit that I'm watching... And, uh, you know, it just, uh, like I snapped. I'm like, Oh, I don't think I should be doing this. You know, I came to, and I, I got up and, uh, one of the, um, the, uh, civilian government workers, <laughs> like a GS or whatever mm. came over and was like, Hey man, um, you, you can't do that to the students. Like, <laughs> like if you're going to body slam a student, like make sure you're down the beach away from the flight, <laughs> but like you can't do it right in front, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, totally out of, you know, at a at a person shouldn't have done that at all, but like it just it just was well, wrong, wrong place. You know. You, did you explain to him like yeah, the I significance told him. He knew, of he his knew name. exactly. I'm like, hey, you yeah. know, name, he was wearing a name tag Harris, and you know, just fucking was not not right at the time. But so. that's what happens when like there's not a lot of support mechanisms in place, and you take someone from multiple combat deployments and put them in a completely different environment, like without any really adequate support mechanisms. And like what you just described, you know, we were we were also getting um, that sort of like impulsivity or anger outbursts at home, and so it was like, what makes sense? You know, we we didn't I almost craved like going back to the dysfunction because I knew how to live in the dysfunction I did not know how to live with him being at home I did not know how to have him in the house I did not know how to co-parent with him or you know gauge his 
his moods. I didn't, he wasn't traveling anymore. So it was really challenging to go from, you know, that sort of a tempo to like, boop, nothing. And I think we just thought, you know, like, oh, if we, if we have a change of scenery, things will get better. If we, if he's not deploying, things will get better. If he gets out of the Navy, things will get better. And so he was medically retired. Um, well, let's back up. Let's back up a little bit because so I left the first phase, went over to SQT for a while, and that was great. Got to teach tactics, which were, you know, I thought a little bit more my speed. Um, so I went over to um, assaults and worked for some really great people, and then I took over, which was fun. But I was really struggling, and uh, one of the head shed said, hey, man, I think you should go see the, like, why don't you go talk to the command, like, psychologist, like, I think you need to. You know, just get a, get an opinion, you know, because you're obviously something's something's wrong. So I went over there and <laughs> he was like, yeah, he's like, man, these last couple of years have been, he's telling me this. He's like, man, these last couple of years have been crazy. He's like, you know, you guys come in here with all the same things. Like you're like, there's some, there's some real shit going on here. You know, yeah, initially we thought you were like, you know, what is this? But like you, you all are showing the exact same symptoms. You're going through the same things. So I think that's when I first got put on my first antidepressant. Yeah, he, he said, um, guys don't even tell me their symptoms anymore. I just tell them, this is probably what you're dealing with, right? Da, 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 da. And uh, yes, 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 yes. So he actually recommended that you go to NICO because you were thinking about doing a med board. And so Marcus was at NICO for 30 days and they do, you know, like a top to bottom. And um, he came home on like seven or eight prescription medications and he had never been on a prescription I mean, he had been hurt multiple times he had never been on he he wouldn't even take you know what was prescribed in the navy mm-hmm. and he's getting out of the navy and they're like goodbye here's your you know seven or eight new prescriptions that was in 2012 12, melanie yes yeah, 2012 mm-hmm. so. and then he was med boarded in 2018 or 2013 and we stupidly thought that we would move to la and yeah, be a normal family. Hold hands and skip around, and everything's good after that. <laughs> Wear <right>? flower crowns. <laughs> yeah, it was no not that. So, um, I we we moved to Texas in 2014, and we made that decision based on a few things. It was like, you know, California was it's tough to raise kids, and it's very expensive, and so um, I just wanted to be in a good place. I wanted to raise my kids in a really good place. I didn't know if we would last. I didn't know if he would last. I just knew I need stability. And everyone that he served with that was from Texas, like, you know, the best person ever. So uh, we knew schools were good. We knew cost of living was good. And we moved here. And when we moved here, the wheels completely came off. Completely came off. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, at the time, I'd finished grad school at USD in San Diego and then went to work for Merrill Lynch up in Beverly Hills. So I was commuting in like 45 minutes a day from the valley. Sometimes up to two hours of a traffic. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just a shocker leaving, like leaving the teams and then going to that, that environment, especially. Um, I think like moving down here might be one thing, but in the middle of, drop you in the middle of Beverly Hills with some of those type of individuals yeah. were a different. People that have no concept of what you've been through. It was different. It was a shocker. Um, people I worked for were incredible. They were so good. So good. I still speak to them this day. Um, but, you know, everybody else. So I, I left there about a year later and uh, joined a, a firm in New York City, Fortress. But what we did is we were building two companies in North Carolina. So I started commuting from L.A. 
to Raleigh Durham, like red eye weekly. And like, that was just impossible. I just couldn't keep up. And so they said, Hey, move to the, move to North Carolina or, you know, or move anywhere in the country. You can run business development. Um, so we decided to come to Texas because Amber's dad at that time just got hired as the offense coordinator at UT. Um, they all, you know, the whole coaching staff from Louisville were, um, Pop Watson, Coach, Coach, Pop. Coach Pop was coaching at the time. They came, um, Charlie Strong took over. Um, her dad came in as a coordinator, quarterbacks coach. So we were like, ah, maybe we'll come here to Texas and, you know, it'd be good, good place. The kids could see grandpa, Amber could see her dad. And you know Benny Wiley? Who is it? Benny Wiley. He's the strength, um, co- co- he strength, the strength coach, at UT. coach at UT at that time. Was he? Well, they'll I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, we, I'm sure we met him. We definitely they met him. Grew when, up together. When they remove the co- head coach, everyone goes. I know. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, we definitely met him. Then. He's at OU now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, once he got to, he came from, he was at Tech, for, was it the Cowboys, then Tech, and Tennessee, and then he went to UT. UT. And now he was at, now at OU. Yeah, sorry. Oh, he's cool. one of, he, I grew up with him. One of our He was there at the same friends. time. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. We'll talk about that offline then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we got, we got to Texas, and I don't know, do you want to? So Marcus has always lived by a beach. He grew up across the street from the beach. You know, the Navy are always by a beach. And Texas was the first place that he was landlocked. And so he tried to replace surfing and, you know, being at the beach with golf. And that meant we joined a country club. And he started up being his alcohol consumption to a point that it was, you know, becoming extremely problematic. He was very unhappy. Um, I did I did get my index to down about a, about an eight at the time, though. So that was always good. Dude, that's pretty good. <laughs> is that a golf term? That is. So, well, there's always a silver lining. Far from it now. Far (laughs) from it. There's always a silver lining, I guess. Great attitude. That was quick, too. Did you just see that? Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. We're just trying to fill ourselves up with anything to keep keep the engine just like going 100 miles an hour. We opened up the first cycle bar in the area, franchise. We we were running. We were running for, you know... to go from being in college to then all the da, 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 years of insanity, you get on that type of tempo, and then how do you be normal? Mm-hmm. It's like how do you how do you downregulate? I was normal. You weren't normal. Yet we were, you know. Now we're going in like a destructive path, and we had kids. So our son was at the time 14, 15. He started acting out. You know, um, our daughter was just in survival mode. Marcus and I were completely just almost at the end, but you know, that whole thing, like, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. So uh, when at the height of our struggles, there was a brain autopsy released in the community. Marcus's primary diagnosis was PTSD. I had never really bought into that. I don't really buy into that for SEALs in general. I just think that it's not like the leading concern. I mean, except for the ones that truly have it which there are, but the majority, right? Like learning, like operator syndrome and all this. Yeah, I just think that you guys are just turned a little different. And so I didn't really buy into that. But when this brain autopsy was released in the community and it was the first time that I heard about blast injury, everything made sense because all of the symptoms fit and the history fit. He had 15 years of tackle football and then 13 years as a breacher. And our life had, you know, was escalating 
in a downward spiral where I thought if this is just PTSD every year should get better, should get easier at least, and this is getting worse. And so I, I completely changed my approach to him where before I was so angry and so bitter and just resentful and you know I had become that wife that I didn't ever want to be. And I was very good at shaming him and guilting him and making him feel you know, inadequate. And I completely changed my approach and I took an approach of total grace. And I told him that if he would fight with me, I would fight for him every day for the rest of my life. But he had to fight. And I knew that, you know, the TBI piece was really concerning and probably time was of the essence with that. I reached out to your brother during that time because I was just so frantic to help him. And um, I started getting him into brain clinics and he, he agreed. But he was also like a ticking time bomb. You couldn't tell him anything. You couldn't talk to him about anything. He would forget to take all these medicines. And then, you know, that would cause a downward spiral. Then the medicines would cause another symptom that needed another medicine. And it was just like we were living in a tinderbox. And these brain clinics that I was getting into really weren't helping because they don't really have like a a great model in terms of past the diagnostic portion. So they can tell you this is what your brain looks like, but they don't really have necessarily a great plan for what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And he was willingly going to these places and committing weeks and months of his life to, to, you know, doing these different protocols. And he, he wasn't making any progress. And that was causing even more frustration and then more drinking. And as things were escalating in our house, um, our daughter said, how much longer do we have to do this? And I just thought, like, I've got to choose my kids. I have to quit. And so um, I told my dad that I was going to quit. And... um, I just knew if I did I never wanted to I never wanted to quit and I knew if I did that I was probably gonna live the rest of my life thinking there's probably something more I could have done my kids are gonna have to live the rest of their lives without a dad and I love him like I never wanted to quit And I remember that one of our friends had done um, a treatment that was very foreign, super weird in Mexico. And I thought, if nothing else, I just want to know that I tried it all. And so um, I convinced him to go and absolutely changed his life and saved his life and saved our family. And immediately he's like, every guy needs this. We've got to pay this forward. The end. <laughs> I've never heard of one person doing that where they didn't come out a hundred times better, a thousand times better. I just never, I've never, I haven't heard that it's yet. It's wild. It's pretty wild. So um, what was your experience like? What, who did you go with and yeah, what is was, the experience? I was that? like Mark One motto, you know, guinea pig. Um, we knew somebody before us um, that had gotten better. And I just thought it was crazy, you know. How can uh, how can you take a pill 
and after a weekend be completely different from you know what you were before and so you know and first off um so here we're talking about psychedelic assisted therapy here right we're talking about psychedelic medicines um you know all i remember from psychedelic psychedelics was like what you learned maybe in college or you'd heard about or like the 60s counterculture and you know these things are crazy and they're bad for you and they're bad for your brain and body and so that's all i knew but as i started doing research you know when amber had initially mentioned this to me everything made sense from what i read and i couldn't what i was trying to find is anything bad about the drugs i don't like calling drugs they're actually medicines and so there was nothing, and the only thing you could find um, that is uh, was negative about it was always from an addiction website. So it was like a, you know, the, the addiction you know program of wherever you know, and they would talk. But when you would read it, you'd go, "That's false. Like that's not even accurate." So you couldn't find anything bad about psychedelics. I'm talking about bad for like bad for the body, bad for the brain, heart, liver. They're physiologically. Nothing relatively safe i mean most of them ibogaine has a, a contraindication you know cardiac but outside of that like i you know i hate to say it but they're actually good for you they're actually good for your brain physiologically in small micro doses in 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 both in both they both do different things mm -hmm. um and there's still a ton of research over over the next couple of years that we're going to find out more mm -hmm. um but yeah initial research is showing that micro doses are definitely building up, um, you know, physiologically changing the brain into to a you know to a positive direction. Um, microdoses, though, excuse me, um, you know, hero doses or, or you know, large doses are what our guys are going through for this kind of life changing experience because it's hitting both, you know, spiritually, psychologically, and then physiologically. So it kind of covers everything. Um, the difference though, I think with, um, if you're at home and you hear someone mm -hmm. doing a psychedelic, they're doing it to get high and, you know, have fun, basically numb themselves or whatever. What we're talking about here is actually healing. Mm -hmm. It's it, a therapeutic it use a therapeutic, of psychedelics. Yeah. It's for therapy. It is for the purpose of healing 100 percent. now there are a lot of people that are doing it by themselves that are doing it for 100 percent therapeutic reasons also there of course are many that are doing it for whatever recreational yeah. use but i am also hearing how many are doing it by themselves for the therapeutic use because they don't have access mm -hmm. to it anywhere so they're just either finding a guide or someone who knows a little bit about it, or someone who actually knows a lot about it, and they're just going and doing it and doing the experience because they're trying to, they literally are trying to find any answer. Mm -hmm. So we jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah. Tell us about your experience. You go down to Mexico, or where did you go, and what was that? Yeah, yeah. So I went to uh, a reputable clinic in Mexico. Um, after, again, like this was a year. I mean, Amber had been trying to get me to go for a year. Um, and I wouldn't go again because I just thought it was nuts. Like I grew up, you know, probably like you, Marcus, uh, Marcus Luttrell, um, <laughs> you know, drinking some beer and, you know, whiskey, whatever. But like, like drug use was like, to me, that was like, I didn't do that. Like we were the kids from Long Island that went to school in Queens. We went to Catholic school in Queens. We were the Long Island kids that just drank beer. All the other kids were like smoking pot and doing all this other stuff. And we thought it was crazy. Right. 
Um, so that's how I was. I said, you know, th- this stuff seems nuts to me. Um, and to me, because I grew up in a very conservative Christian family. Like for me, that was the last thing that I would have, I wouldn't have even considered it had this other team guy not shared with me. And he knew, he and his wife knew how much Marcus was struggling. And they, you know, like the community always does, wanted to help. Mm -hmm. And so that same group one medical officer that I just said, you know, didn't even have to ask guys about their symptoms. um, I worked with him and the, the other SEAL to get Marcus help. But for the longest time, he was like, no, that's crazy. No, no. He wanted a Western approach. He wanted to go to a doctor that was wearing a lab coat and had a stethoscope and could prescribe medicine. And, you know, brain clinics were like as crazy as he was willing to get to go. But when you get to a point where you've tried everything, you are literally so desperate. I was so desperate to save him, us, our family. It was like, yeah. Whatever. Went, it's, it's all out the window. I went to five brain clinics. I actually went to one of the top, and I don't, I don't want to talk about it here, one of the top in the world. Um, I mean, it's still the same. Like, not, not, they were all the same. You know, somebody, thank goodness it wasn't coming out of our pocket. You know, the, all these foundations were set up, but each one was, you know, fifteen to 30000 a pop, right, for a week or two weeks or whatever it was. I mean, think about the amount of money that was spent and still, like, got nowhere. And so... Um, after a year of that, um, I was just tired. I was like, done. I was done. I would have done, I would have tried anything. Like, okay, this is sounds crazy, but I just want to get better. And what were your symptoms? So anyone listening might. So um, couldn't remember anything, couldn't focus. Um, extremely impulsive. Um, you know, I would fly off the handle. Um, the depression was horrible. You know, I couldn't get out of bed literally for days. And here I am like full-time, like executive role. Um, I'd stay in bed for days on end, um, hysterical crying for no reason. Um, crying at random places throughout the day. Um, national anthem, start bawling my eyes out. Um, you know, sitting in Starbucks. It didn't matter. Like, it's just, it was just weird. The stuff that was going on was just, um, this is not normal. Like, who does this, right? Um, and, uh, you know, because of that, all of that, you know, couldn't sleep. Um, you know, if I got a headache, it wasn't an average headache. It was like a horrible headache. Oh, he'd wake know? up in the middle of the night screaming. You know. I'd have to run to get 800 milligram ibuprofen. Um, you know, violent um, violent dreams, um, which completely stopped after the, the, the uh, which is crazy because I've had those for so long. Um, yeah, they just, I mean, they just literally went away when I mean overnight, like overnight. Um, and so because of all these things, and again, I wasn't getting, which I felt better. Like Amber said, I was getting worse. Um, I just, I was ready to do anything at that time. I just left another brain clinic. I got out of there more pissed off than, than I went in. They were doing some TMS work and I think they would cranked it up so high the whole time. I remember telling them like, Hey, this hurts. Like, is, am I supposed to feel like someone's like chiseling my nose, you know, like, so anyway, I had just very unlucky or very, um, shitty outcomes, you know, from all these different places that I was going to. And I, you know, I was just ready. And I, and I finally just said, you know what, Amber, I'll, I'll, I'll go do this. Number one, like I'm tired of arguing with you that there's something wrong with me. Cause I was fine. Um, uh, and, and, 
I would have tried anything at that time. So that's kind of what got me to commit. And so uh, I went by myself. Um, I learned a little bit about the medicine. You went with the other team guy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the medicine is called Ibogaine. It's a very strong alkaloid that's extracted from the aboga root, which is the plant. Uh, it's a shrub in Western Africa that's grown. Um, they've used it for literally centuries, like many Native American, you know, have used uh, peyote and, and, you know, for, for rites of passage and for spiritual healing. And, you know, so when you start reading about it, it all makes sense. Um, this medicine of choice was Ibogaine, arguably one of the strongest, probably the strongest psychedelic on the planet. Um, you go for a 12 hour, roughly eight to 12 hour experience, maybe four to six hours of like peak, really intense, um, it's like an awakened dream state. How is it administered? Uh, it's body weight. So the, the medicine is by body weight. You take it in like a capsule format. So it's a pill. It's a pill. Yeah. Um, so if you weigh, you know, 230 pounds or if you weigh, you know, a hundred pounds, your doses are going to be, you like how I did that, right? I was like a hundred pounds, they, maybe one ten. they're dehydrating the root or they're extracting, you don't know. Well, Dr. Capone, um, <laughs> in all my experience at med school, no, um, I believe, I believe the shrub is, is gr uh, like ground. In, yeah. The root in, into, into a powder. But, but then, like I said, however they, okay, so however they take out uh, alcohol, like uh, CBD or CBN from mm -hmm. cannabis mm -hmm. uh, or THC, like just that, that's what they do with Iboga. And that's, it's, it's Ibogaine. And I think there's about 13 other or 12 other alkaloids. I may be wrong on that. So, but there are other alkaloids in Iboga that are, that are, just as good for different properties, addiction. So Ibogaine is one of the like leading, if not the strongest drug on the planet for addiction. Yeah, because I've Googled it. And when I Google it, most websites come up, pretty much all websites that come up are for addiction facilities. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Like most of the, you know, team guys that have been treated, half of them come out and never want to touch alcohol ever again. Some of them just completely stop drinking forever. Mm -hmm. Literally from one... Dose. Now, not everyone's like that, but again, this is the type of things that are, that are happening. So it's super exciting that, that, you know, these medicines are out there. So, um, you take, you take the pill, um, you put eye shades on, you put like noise canceling headphones on, and you basically are listening to like a meditative type of soft kind of spa music for the next 12 hours. And you're lying in like a bed and there's a therapist there, like a psychotherapist, a coach. Who's, so like middle of the day, uh, at night? Yeah, it's sort of ceremonial. So uh -huh. like as the sun's going down, a little fire ceremony. Um, they talk a little bit about the medicine and like how many thousands of years these medicines have been used to kind of, you know, you know, extract the demons, right? Like, like heal, cleanse the person. And then um, you get taken, you know, you take the pill, you go in the room. And like I said, sun's going down. So maybe five, six o'clock, seven. Are there other people? So there wasn't for him, but what we're, yeah, we, we can, I think we'll talk about the program now, like kind of how okay, it's more. I'm just trying to picture it. No, it's head. good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> he was treated alone. Yeah. Just picture me as the Guinea pig. Like, uh -huh. Yeah. Held together by glue and tape and 550. Is cord. your friend, the other team guy that was there, is he in the same room with you? No, or? no, no. He's okay. just, he's, you're, you're, you're by yourself. Okay. 
But you are with your therapist mm -hmm. because that therapist is not just a therapist or coach. It's, it's a psychedelic-assisted therapist. It's someone who understands psychedelics, has been through treatment and training, has guided you know, thousands of visits before that. And so it's, it's like your sensei. It's like your master that you know, um, whatever you're experiencing, they have the answer. They know. So this person helps guide you through that experience because some of them are gnarly. I mean, they're going deep into some, some trauma. And if you don't understand that, you can, you know, you could be like a wounded soul. And so that person there is helping you like through the experience. Like, why am I, why did I just talk to my best friend that I watched die in the battlefield? You know, and it's like, well, you know, that's obviously that is a sticking point in your subconscious that's affecting you. And, you know, the drug wanted, to, wanted you to see that, you know, and kind of helps you, like, coaches you through the experience because you go, you see stuff from childhood, you see stuff from war. Do you mind telling what you saw? I mean, everything. I mean, I saw um, a little bit of childhood, not not really. Like, so I don't think my childhood was, like, super effective of what, what was going on. I think everything happened for me was more probably, um, you know, maybe TBI-related. Um, a lot of, you know, stuff that happened in the teams. Um, I definitely did see a lot of, there's a lot of like fighting and, you know, gory, like, you know, knife fighting and shooting and just like weird type of like images and those type of things. Um, I did talk to myself when I talked to my dad who passed. Um, but the thing, you're actually, you really think you're there. You're going through this like real awake, you're, you're, you feel like you're in an awakened dream state because you are awake. You're not sleeping. You can pull the eye shades up and you're, you're like, oh, okay, I'm grounded, I'm here. You know, I'm not, I'm not in this hell or wherever this thing is taking me. Um, you know, some people feel heat, right? Like they're, they, they, they are in quote unquote hell and they're feeling heat and they're sweating. Um, I mean, my heart rate was jumping because you're hooked up to a heart rate monitor. Um, my heart rate was jumping up pretty high because I was like, whatever I was experiencing was really affecting me, you know? But here's, here's what the doctor told me. He said, as you go through this experience and you're going to deal with all these things, it's going to feel like, you know, make believe you have a backpack on with, you know, a ton of bricks in it, like 100 pounds of bricks. And as you go through this journey, it's going to feel like bricks are starting to just like get thrown out on the floor. And by the end of your journey, you, you have an empty backpack. You're light. You're free. You know, you're, you're, you're clean. And so that's exactly what it was like. You go through these hard experiences. You're crying and you're, you're facing shit again that you really don't want to, but it cleanses you. It's, it's like everything else. You know, do you want to like, you want to bury those, those things deep down inside and keep them in, you know, and, and deal with them however people deal with. Um, and, and a lot of times it's, it's bad. Um, or you go through this journey and you're dealing with them through this, you know, through this medicine experience and you face that. You face the challenge. You face the demon, and then it goes away. It's like you literally like you're, you're like you're you're just you're, you're like exercising it. You're cleansing yourself. You're um, I don't know if I'm doing a good job, but 
you know, I tell people Did it was, you vomit? It was like, oh God, I vomited for hours. Like while it's happening? Uh, yeah, it was terrible. And the vomiting is a lot of, um, you know, they call it purging. You're, you're purging through bad trauma, traumatic experiences. They or, literally have like a trash can. Oh yeah. Apparently puking is good in psychedelic therapy because you are literally getting this energy and darkness and ick out of your system, out of your soul, out of your body. It's just um, very cleansing. I guess. And which so, is also when you're like you're you're getting rid of uh, like toxins. Like it's detoxifying. Yeah. So the the guy that was with him was keeping me posted during the experience and you know he was really struggling and I was feeling this. I actually texted him and said I'm feeling something like some like is he okay? And he was like, "Well, he's really struggling right now. He's puked for 8 hours or something." And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so bad. He's like, no, 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 that's so good. So, do you have an IV that's hydrating mm -hmm. you? Uh, no, but you have, you have, um, you have fluids there and electrolytes, and you could sip and and things like that. Um, but like I said, you are being monitored. I think that the guys going down now do have a, an IV. Um, okay. Yeah. At least in, inserted, so if they needed fluids, they could have it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but like going back to your your question, Melanie. I mean, yeah, I, I was. You know, I saw a lot of, you know, bad wartime images that I was, you know, I was there again, like, you know, like duking it out, um, you know, seeing, you know. Was my... it like a, like a highlight reel of something that happened or was it? Yes. Okay. So it's, you, you basically went back in time mm -hmm. to something that really happened. It wasn't like you're like a dream where you might be somewhere you might not know, you know, but both. Okay. So it's both, both. Uh, and the dreams resembled like, just like when you have a dream, they're like, a, you know, they're, they're weird, right? Mm -hmm. They're just like not a version of the they're truth. not normal. You're floating, you're flying or you're just all types of, yeah, I think that's a good version of the truth, but then you are seeing actual Stuff. Actual footage of mm -hmm. what you've been through. Yes. Ibogaine is typically described as that, like a, a rewind or a Rolodex of someone's life, and they're pretty traumatic memories. Yeah, and then there's then there's parts of the experience, and there's all different um, phases of it. Like there's phases of the experiences, depending on, like, and so you go through, you know, there was a phase of where it looked like I literally, my, my brain was defragging. So like it was filing all, everything that happened. So like as I... As I experienced these individual experiences, then I experienced all of them at one time, but it looked like they were just getting filed, like they were just getting put in a folder. I've already explained it the same way. It, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Like, it's literally flicking through. It, it's remarkable what, you know, and, and, then, and then the puking, you know, and then the therapist trying to explain to me as this is going on, you know, and then you. He had no idea what he was signing up for. Remember that. <sighs> So did you want to like at any point want to just take the shades off and get up and walk around? You don't. You can't. No. You don't do that. <laughs> no. You are. You're. You're pretty. You're. You're messed up. I mean, you're. So first off, it throws off your equilibrium. So you're pretty much in bed. If you have to go to the restroom, that's Charlie, that's Charlie Snorton. <laughs> just um, don't think yeah, of it for me. Uh, he just wants to let snorting. everybody know he's here. Um, you get up to go to the restroom. You got to. You have to be walked there. You're. You're. Your 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 it balance is all off. Yeah, and so like they walk you to the, the restroom, um, but you don't want to you don't want to move. But you do want to take them off sometimes because it gets too intense. Like you really feel like you're there, and so 
that's hard. You know, I mean, we're talking about guys that have talked to their, you know, their dead buddies that they served, you know, they were with on deployment, having full on conversations with them and saying, hey, man, it's okay. I'm good. You can move on now. You know, these are the things that, that you experience. So when it's done, besides feeling like complete crap because you just threw up for a bunch of hours and you just experienced shit that you can't even believe that you just experienced. Um, you know, as you start to get some food in you and some water, I slept. So my, I started Friday night. I slept all the way to like. I saw you on Saturday night. Saturday night? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I slept all and day Saturday. But you were, you know, I, I saw you came down the hall you were in the room for five, 10 minutes and then you went back to bed and then I saw you the next day. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was out of it. So basically Sunday, say I came through, started feeling better, but I just felt like, you know, you just feel a glow when you're done. You're just going. He was glowing. You're I like, oh, this is good. Like, this is definitely, there's something here. I felt like seeing him then was like seeing him before he was a seal. And there was just this like innocence back. There was like a, happiness and uh marcus was always so cool <laughs> he was like cooler than cool and he had become wound so tight and he was just like whew, back yeah. did you have any spiritual experience like did you a absolutely feel like god was telling you it was okay or whatever yeah i felt like i was you know with god the whole time you know through that you know and i points of like actually floating up to heaven and just being there and seeing like, you know, white lights and like hugging and like, you know, love. And it was just like, it was just a roller coaster of things, you know, for me, um, nothing was ever for me. I didn't go through it like in stages of, of, um, some people actually went through like different stages where they just kept going through different stages of lives. And me, it was, I felt like it was more of a collage you know, of things thrown at me. And so I would, you know, I'd have like this, I don't know if it was like angel or white, but like I could picture it now. And it was just, you know, again, it's your, you know, your mind just saying you know, like, hey, you're, you're, you know, you're good. You're free. Like, you know, I, I got you. I, I took all the rocks out of the bag and uh, you're good now. Um, and that's, you know, again, our minds are, they're, uh, you know, there's still a lot to explore. And so, I think that was the part where it was telling me that, hey, you're healed, you're good, and uh, you know, hopefully you don't have to go go visit any of that stuff again. That's a common theme that's coming out, you know, that we're hearing, and we can get into when we went into action and got real serious about paying this forward. But for those that we sponsor, going through, they've said the same things. There's general themes that come out, which is like, you know, I feel free. I want to live again. There is a God. We're all connected. Um, and, and Ibogaine has been described a certain way, a Rolodex of one's life. And then the second medicine that's used is a uh, more of like a spiritual molecule. And so guys have described a literal feeling like they literally died and they've come back and like what they're describing is an ego death. So, you know, ego in the teams is necessary, but ego, that same ego for the rest of your life could actually be a detriment so that, you know, the death of the ego is allowing them to really live a vulnerable and authentic life from that point forward. Not that it's a one and done, not that it's a miracle cure, but it clears so much space for healing. Um, there have been guys that have come through and 
turned from their faith, had no faith, full on like atheist. And, you know, they're like, no, there's a God. No, I want to know more about this. And so the healing that we're seeing is happening on a psychological level, whether you want to call it PTSD, repressed trauma, whatever, um, and a physiological level, because everyone is reporting massive cognitive improvement. I've seen it. I mean, that's the most incredible thing for me. There's an addiction piece because Ibogaine is so um, profound in addressing addiction. So if guys are coming in with alcohol issues or opioid issues from injuries in the military, that's no longer an issue. And then there's a spiritual healing that's happening. And for me, that's probably the most important thing and the most incredible thing. As a Christian, I had a really hard time wrapping my head around what is this because I have never done a psychedelic. I have, I'm completely opposed to drugs. I don't feel like um, this is that though. But it took a long time for me to get there. After Marcus came back, I was like, what just happened? I was so grateful, but my mind was blown because we were in such survival fallout mode leading into this that it was like, what have we just done? I was so desperate, I didn't even really think about it. And now, you know, this our whole life shifted overnight. Um, I was working with a Christian therapist at the time, and I was almost afraid to tell her, like, she would judge me. And I, but I did because I really needed help in working through it. And she was able to point out some key things for me, which is like, at the most basic level, what did you pray for? This. <laughs> I prayed for this. Like, this is an answer to my prayer. She's like, what was his intention going in? You can literally abuse anything. Was his intention pure? Yes, he just wanted to heal. And she's like, this is a plant. God put this plant on earth. Who are you to say how it's used? You know, you, and I realized I was conditioned to believe that big pharma or, a, or medicine had a, an answer. The white lab coats had the answer, but a plant is a drug. And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> I'm smarter than that. Um, Don't take this one. Take this one. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's it's a medicine's medicine. Right. And then um, what was the other? There there were a few different points along the way that I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, and what's happening in your community? Because by that point, like a few of our friends had gone. And she's like, what's happening in your community? How is that bad? How is that bad? If you're giving, you know, if, 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 Families are are whole again. Like if you want to go from a Christianity perspective, like good and evil. Good is that there's restoration. Evil is that there's destruction. There's plenty of destruction. And this is providing restoration. Tell me how that's bad. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm a thousand percent behind this now. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, when I came out, the first thing I said to Amber was, like, we got to pay this forward. I don't think I said that. I just said, "Hey, we got to we got to we got to spread the spread the spread the word." You said, "This is exactly what the guys need." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "We have to tell everybody about this. This is this is not like one hundred percent what the guys need," and that kind of started it. November of twenty seventeen. Fast forward, probably trying to get this together. Um, middle of what 2018 is when you really started to kick it in the gear. Or? Yeah, we were approached by a donor in December. Marcus was treated on Veterans Day, ironically, which I think was super cool. But um, the following month, a donor approached us and said, "I want to give to a veteran organization. Can you recommend one?" And Marcus said, "Well, uh, actually, I have a buddy who's struggling, and I had a treatment last month, and it saved my life. Like you could save someone's life." And she was totally on board. And so she gave us a donation and we were able to pay that forward with helping like three or four guys right off the bat. How much is it? 
not expensive. It's not expensive. The grants that we provide all in with coaching and travel and everything are right around $5,000 per veteran. So um, I think she wrote like a $20,000 check or something. And we just gave that to the doctor that had treated Marcus and then referred some of our friends. And we were very reluctant because, you know, the community is so built on ego that it's like no one can admit that they're struggling. There's a real stigma with that. And so we were just comfortable telling people that we trusted and seeing what their outcomes were. And their outcomes were good. So then it's like, okay, well, I'm very strategic. And so my my goal was like, okay, let's let 12 months pass and 12 guys have the same experience. That way we know, is it going to work for more than just him and his friends? And is it going to last? It definitely felt too good to be true. And so at the 11 and a half month mark before we were, you know, comfortable talking about it, um, one of my best friend's husbands took his life. He was active duty, 21 year SEAL. And I was sitting in his funeral and I just was started shaking uncontrollably. And I like instantly downloaded, which I kind of totally bypassed the part, my part in this, which was really leaning back into my faith. Um, it was something that I was raised with, but not necessarily like fully, fully, fully relying upon. I wasn't taking time for God. I was giving God my time when it was convenient. And I completely changed everything about my my faith and my walk in faith. And when things really started to get bad for us, I started to dive in. And I was just in my Bible. I would sit for for hours every single day is how I started my day. And sometimes it was 20 minutes. Sometimes it was three hours. Sometimes I was screaming, crying, writing. I just sat and I just learned to be still. And as I was becoming stiller and stiller, my life was spinning more and more out of control. But I was gaining a peace that I couldn't even put into words. And I was getting, you know, these feelings of like, there's, there's like relief coming. There's something big coming. And I, but I had to stop and listen. And so I was sitting in Chad's funeral and that, you know, one of those feelings came over me and when it's God, you know, immediately. And, um, the feeling that I had as I looked around this chapel that we've been in a million times for war funerals, and there were all the same guys there, and they had more medals, and they had more gray hair, and they looked like hell. And I thought, this is it. This is going to be the next wave of funerals for this community. And if we don't speak out, and we don't find the courage and the conviction to share something that could work, then we're really doing a disservice to a community that means the world to us. And I just said, like, that's it. I, I'm going to, as uncomfortable as it is, to share this level of vulnerability I have to, you know. And so um, from Chad's funeral forward, the next goal was 100 SEALs, or I'm sorry, uh, 100 special operations soldiers beyond SEALs. I mean, most of our grant recipients are SEALs, but, um, and research. Because everyone says like, oh, anecdotal anecdotal stories are great, but where's the, the data? And I knew that that would be coming. So we did it. We did 100 and research and... Uh, Everything looked great. And so in 2019, we pulled the trigger. We formed our own foundation. We raised money to support other veterans, special operations veterans, seeking psychedelic-assisted therapies. But in full transparency, 95% or more of them are seeking the same protocol that Marcus did. And the results have been phenomenal. How many to date? Over 300 to date. 
Oh my gosh. I knew it was a lot. I mean, just not being involved at all with anything that y'all are doing, I we hear about it a lot. And we've been hearing really? about it for years. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. I mean, I've I've known about it, but I've always also known that it's kind of like... It's, I know when you were out there and when you went through it. Yeah. I mean, I've we've heard Everything. about this for so long, but Everything. it's always been that like we knew we've it was kept, undercover. We've kept it. We've tried to keep it very... And so you only Under the tell radar. like people like I've only shared with people that I've seen like extremely, especially the wives. You know, we talk, we vent about <laughs> our husbands or whatever. No. <laughs> it happens. I have no doubt. We never we never talk about y'all. Yeah, we don't. And I'll be like, "Have you heard about? So there's this thing. Have you heard about that?" And then the next thing I know, they're like, "Oh, so my husband went and did this and." I we have not heard anything bad. I I've heard of two people going that didn't want to go, but their wives made them go. Yeah, that's tough. That's not good. And and I think that does need to be shared too because if the person going through it isn't ready, it's not going to work. And yeah. that that's what I saw um with two people that I know that the wives were just at their last straw and they're like, you have to do this. And so the husbands went to appease the wife, but they, they personally weren't ready. Yeah. And they came back saying it didn't work, whatever, you know, they didn't say anything bad about the experience. They just said it didn't work. But when you know about the experience and you know, you have to be open to this. Um, so don't waste your time, you know, and don't waste the funds. You know, if you, if the person isn't ready to go, then there's yeah. no reason. Yeah, it took Marcus a year, and I was, I don't think I was at the point where I was necessarily giving like a him a full blown ultimatum, but I certainly he knew that I was on my last leg, and I think he could feel that, and so he agreed to do it. But I never would have told him, you know, you you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to get better. So as much yeah. as, you know, I, I didn't care. I, I would have done I mean I would have done anything to get better. And so I think, you know, if individuals they have to be ready to heal to go do this because like those two individuals, they just they, they didn't even want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um when we were talking about it earlier, you know. The, the person has to be ready, has to be mm-hmm. open, has to be willing, set and setting, like they got to want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to, you know, then they're going to change their life to yeah. be better. But literally out of probably at least a hundred people, I'm not exaggerating, that we know that have done it, those were two instances that just, and the reason I even bring those up, I'm not trying to bash it, is because I want people to know it won't yeah. work. If you're not open, to I mean, it. I would, I wouldn't say necessarily that it wouldn't work because Marcus didn't have any sort of preparation or really understanding of what he was getting into, and even though he was willing, it still wasn't the level of preparation that we provide now. So we're choosing. There, the demand is so outrageous now that we have to be, you know, very. We have to choose, you know, who who gets these precious funds because it's very difficult to fundraise for something like this uh, and to meet the demand that is exploding. Because like we've been saying, the community is so great about taking care of each other. Everyone who comes through knows two to five others that are struggling and need help like yesterday. So it's made this effort just absolutely um, grow by leaps and bounds. And 
I think that those that are coming in for funding and answering, you know, questions like I am totally at the end of my rope and I need help and I know how important preparation is and I'm willing to do integration and I want to make lifestyle changes and I really want my family to work. Those are the people that are getting the funding because they're willing to put in the work. It's the guys that come in and they're like, I don't know what this is. My buddy said to do it. They're not going to get nearly as much from it. Yeah. And I think it's special too. I think this is like a special, you know, it's like a, um, what did uh, somebody I worked with once told me, like, going to war is a privilege. It's not like I'm, I'm entitled to go to war. Like, no, that's, that's a privilege. Like, you got to earn that shit. I think this is also, I think this is, you know, I wanted to do this for the guys that, like, like you and the guys that we worked with that deserve it and, like, need it. And, like, they deserve to go there first because, you know, they fought for this country. They worked their ass off. They bled. They lost friends or lost their families or kids or whatever. Like, those are the guys that need to go um, first. So like, we're, so we're here, we can only offer up so much, but I think the more we now, now we start talking about it and the more politicians we can get involved and the, the more that people know about stuff that's out there that really works, then we can treat a larger population. So we can, instead of treating over 300, maybe we could treat, you know, 300,000 or 3 million eventually, right? So how are you, are you sending like, three guys a month or is this like a weekly thing? How we typically support four to six guys per weekend, two to three weekends per month. So between 30 and 40 per quarter, um, we were able to reach 110 in 2020. We were projected to, to uh, reach 125 in 2021. And, you know, fundraising is the biggest ongoing challenge with that. So it's really forced us out of our comfort zone. I mean, we definitely don't love, you know, the PR tour of um, highlighting the struggles that we've gone through. But when you hear on Monday morning, you know, the, the thank yous and the this saved my life and the letters and emails from spouses and photos of the families, you just... I will not quit. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, um, one of our very close friends who helped initially fundraise with us, um, wanted us to take a different route, but you know, we wanted to, we wanted to fund our guys and get them better. That was our, our goal. And now, like we said, we've funded over 300 guys. Um, but their, their thing was, do you want to keep treating or funding individuals to go get better or, are you guys going to get out there and start speaking and educating and bringing research in to treat, like I said, you know, 3 million or 300 million? So now this year, you know, we're taking that advice. I think we've funded enough individuals to get treatment and then we're going to that, continue that'll that. continue. But now we need to talk about it like we're doing here. Like, like I said, it, it was a bit uncomfortable. I'm starting to get better about it. Um, but it's, you know, I think the more we talk, the more we get up out in the open, the more people learn the more this is going to spread. And so so I could get past the, well, I don't want to talk about the teams. Um, now I'm doing it for like, no, no, this is not about you. This is about everybody else. So so what about the wives? Like the guy goes, he has this awesome experience. And meanwhile, the wife has had her own trauma of, I mean, like you were saying, like you were at your wit's end. Um, how do you, well, you were at the point where you had accepted like, okay, I need to change my whole mindset. But some of the 
wives that are still super resentful and in that anger stage and the guy comes home from that, how does she be supportive of him? I would say my advice from my own personal experience, um, I really, I personally just let God change my heart. And I feel like, you know, seeing Marcus through eyes of grace wasn't necessarily something that I would have been capable of doing on my own. I really had to, to pray about that and be intentional about that. And then when I was able to see him through eyes of grace as, you know, a child of God, as someone who really wanted to be better, as, you know, someone's dad, someone's son, and not, you know, my annoying husband. Yeah. What? <laughs> um, it, it shifted my perspective in a way that allowed me to think differently and to problem solve differently. And so... I realize that not every spouse is going to be in that same situation. Um, but I always think it's a good place to start. I think that starting with myself and working on my own heart and my own attitude, um, that was the only way I was able to get to him. Mm -hmm. And for the, the spouses that just really aren't there yet, we do provide resources for them through vets. So we provide at minimum a group coaching call where uh, there's a, you know, a therapist on, I'm on most of the time. And um, those happen once a week. And then we also provide spouse grants. So I feel like psychedelics are a vessel to higher levels of awareness and consciousness. And so some people, even people in the community, um, have ignorantly said, how can Amber run a psychedelic nonprofit if she's never done a psychedelic? Well, I've loved someone who I almost lost and was saved by this. So that in and of itself is enough. I attained a level of awareness and grace over the course of years that I was really working on myself. Psychedelics take you there almost overnight. They definitely do something on a physiological level, which is really compelling for TBI. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a lot of work. And for the spouses who are trying to support their husbands the best they can, it can be problematic when he comes home and he's done the work. He's taken the rocket ship. And it can cause issues with, like, wait a minute. Now I want to talk about the past. Wait a minute. Now I feel like I'm not in survival mode because you're stable. Now I'm going to fall apart. Or just a complete, uh, you know, don't understand what he's just gone through and she's, you know, feeling left behind. So we try to provide resources that, you know, allow them to come alongside their spouse and not make this, you know, use this as an opportunity to really catapult into a better relationship. Do you recommend people going back? Absolutely. I think this is something that... Um, to each his own. So each person's going to react differently. Some people can do this, you know, one time and, and be better for the rest of their lives. I mean, there's a lot of people right now that are going down to Peru and Costa Rica and doing, you know, ayahuasca retreats and, and it's changed their life forever and they don't need to go back. I know others that go down there once a quarter. I know others that go down twice a year. Um, what I've realized is I think I need something like this once a year. Um, and, and again, to each his own, uh, this is this is a tool to help you get better. You can't go to the gym one time and work out, you know, for a month and, and be in shape for the rest of your life. You need to work at it regularly. So I think this is something that you need to work at regularly. Um, I don't think you need to do psychedelics every weekend, 
But I do think if it's, you know, twice a year or four times a year where you're going for like a full, like a reset, it, it's it's perfect. Or once a year or every other year. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It's, but up to, it's up to the person. There's also the physiological component of this, which psychedelics have primarily been researched and known for their therapeutic use. So dealing with emotional issues. There's a real physiological element here that was immediately noticeable for me with all the TBI concerns. I just wanted to, to you know, I... I through this as a Hail Mary to try to buy some time to see if this, you know, would work or if this is the last thing I'm going to try, then I know I've done it all. But what ended up happening was this healing across this myriad of, of um, you know, areas in his life. And the most profound one for me was the cognitive improvement. So I was trying to get anyone to listen to me about, um, you know, the cognition piece. And I reached out to, uh, or I was connected with um, a researcher at Stanford. And I said, like, something happened to his brain. I know it. I know it did. And he believed me. And so we're launching a study with Stanford this spring um, to look at the, the physiological component as it relates to blast injury and TBI. So 30 individuals. So if somebody wants to find out how to donate, contribute to the organization or all this, where do they find you? VetSolutions.org. www.vetsolutions.org. Social media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your social media handle? No, it was taken. So it's Veteran Solutions on Instagram. Um, just like to throw out about the maintenance and going back, I think that's with anything. Like Marcus goes to Exos every year. Every single year it's his routine in February. He goes and has a physical rehab and it's like his kicks off his year of reset and he does stem cells too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think you get stem cells once and you're done, but it's like anything with your body because your body is always changing. You have to maintain that. You have to keep going back. Marcus, I'm interested in both. So let's talk about that offline. (laughs) Mind, body and spirit. I mean, you bust your body up, your mind have to catch up with that. So it's also your spirit will shut down while you're doing both that. So many of you, when those start catching, you feel it. Mm -hmm. You feel like I've been in the gym working out. Your your mental game is so focused. And then that's when that opens up and you're like, oh, right. Yeah. So when yeah. the vessel gets hit, sometimes the spirit will back back. So it's like, oh, let this thing heal up. Because otherwise, we'll just keep going. Yeah. We'll take time to, and we'll burn this thing out. But thank you all so much for coming out here. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Story. I mean, Good like time. I said, we've heard, of, Marcus and I have heard about it for years, and we've always known to keep it on the down low so we don't <laughs> talk about it. Too well, it's well, good. Well, we could, we could talk now. about Fight Club now. So yeah. That's, good. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and All time, right? I'm with you. Like, I was always. Marcus and I were both raised, like, never touch a drug, never do anything like that. Both came from Christian homes, and um, I would have never believed in it if it wasn't for one of our friends that we're very close with that did it. And I saw a 100% change in his, really in every aspect of his life. Like, you could even see it in his eyes that he was a different person. Yeah, And um, and it's been years since... He has done his first one, and he's still going strong, hasn't drank, hasn't done any pills or anything. And it's really remarkable. It I really mean, is. It's crazy. crazy. Right? How, How is that bad? It's like a brain surgery. Yeah. <laughs> In a weekend. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. What All y'all are doing is, is amazing work, and Thank we're really um, proud of y'all. And 
I know it's not easy to share such a vulnerable side of your life and story, uh, but thank you for sharing it on this podcast. And we hope that your story helps a whole bunch of other people. Thank yeah, you guys thanks so for much having us. It's been so us. much fun. But what an incredible interview we had today with Marcus and Amber. This two part was such a great, a great story. What they're doing for veterans, special forces is just super incredible. It's fascinating. And I'm just so grateful we were able to share their story. Thank you guys for checking back every single week, listening to the episode, sharing it with friends, subscribing. We appreciate all of those things. It helps us spread the message of that never quit mentality, that never quit attitude. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social, where you can find all of our social media profiles. You guys should definitely consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get notified the moment we drop new episodes. We've got an incredible lineup of people that we're going to have, and we're even in the talks about releasing some brand new shows, some brand new hosts, and some content that will just continue to add to this library of the entire Team Never Quit community. We want you guys to be the first to know about it. Join us at patreon.com slash teamneverquit for access to exclusive gear, live streams, some exclusive merch like a unique limited edition challenge coin. All of those things are awesome. Again, thank you guys so much for supporting this show every single week. If you'd like to share your story and tell us how the show has impacted you, you can do that at teamneverquit.com slash podcast. There's a share your story button right up in the navigation. Thank you guys again for checking it out. We'll see you guys next week. 